The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word just does that. We explore the Word of God, trying to dig in and find treasures that will help you and bless you and even change your life. This is Bert Harper along with Alex McFarlane, and it's our joy to be with you today. We're in the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, it is an unusual book in so many ways. There's, I read where one person said it is interpreted in more ways than any other Old Testament book. And uh, someone said it rivals the book of Revelation in trying to uh, interpret all that is saying. Well, I don't know about that, but it is an interesting story, and it's filled with allegorical meaning, but also I think it's filled with true meaning between a husband and a wife. Alex, as we dug in yesterday to the Song of Solomon, I looked. I came away saying, God, you are good. You gave us marriage, and you gave us redemption through Jesus Christ. I just want to say, that's two awesome gifts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Bert, it's a really an honor to be with you, and this is the American Family Radio Network. And yes, we are teaching through Song of Solomon, which is a book uh, I would estimate probably a lot of people have never heard anybody preach through Song of Solomon. And you're right, just as the book of Revelation in the New Testament has a myriad of, of interpretations, although it is literal truth, yeah, there are a lot of uh, lot of takes on Song of Solomon. But you know, Bert, yesterday we were in chapter two, and repeatedly in chapter two we see the words "Arise, my love," and uh, "Arise." Verse seven says, "Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past; the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on earth. The time of singing." Has come. It speaks about verse 13 Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Now, again, not trying to spiritualize too much, but just like a husband and wife have love one for another, and the husband, um, his beloved, his bride, well, that is very pictorial of the, the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride, the church. And one day, when the winter of history is over and the springtime of eternity dawns, our Savior is going to call out to his bride, Arise, my love, come away. And we will be caught away to be with our bridegroom, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, it is literal truth, but Song of Solomon is, as Matthew Henry said, parables, poetry, but it is beautiful. And, Bert, I'm just going to say this. It is artistic, isn't it? It is very artistic, and I would say this. If it is not directly related, as you said, arise, my love, uh, it still calls it to your remembrance. In other words, when you see these words, uh, again, I think they were uh, something that Solomon wrote that he felt like he needed to write between he and the Shulamite uh, his bride, I really believe that. But yet at the same time, we see in these the picture of Christ loving us. It is very well. I, we ended, we didn't quite finish chapter 2. don't want to spend a lot of time. We're trying to get to 3 and 4 today. But notice what it says. I think we need to spend a little bit more time on verse 15. Catch us the foxes, 
the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. These little foxes, and if you relate this to a relationship between a husband and wife, it's talking about those things that's in your life that bug you, just those little irritating things. Uh, This morning, uh, we've been praying for Dan Celia. By the way, we want to keep on praying for Dan, asking God to raise him up. But Jeff Shreve and his wife were taking his place in the first hour like you took his place in the second hour last week. I think Ray Pritchard's doing it this week as as we're doing that. But Jeff and and his wife, Debbie, they were talking about uh, what is a conflict. And and, and I love their answer, two people, two people. Now, think about that. Now, Alex, people have commented on how you and I seem to have an agreement on Scripture. Well, we do. But I would say there's one or two things that we've looked at and we say that, like when even on the Song of Solomon, uh, you dig into it allegorical, and that is great. I dig into it between the relationship between a, a man and a woman and a husband and wife is deep meaning. It doesn't mean we're in complete conflict, but yet at the same time, uh, this is the whole idea. If you let little things like that, if you don't totally agree with me, you're out. And don't mm-hmm. let that be a part of your marriage. Don't let that be a part of your family. Uh, you know, uh, that that is just asking too much of your spouse to say, you need to agree with me on everything. There's going to be those things. And Alex, uh, that's that's when you come together and you agree to disagree on some things. Now, those little foxes, if you let them dig in and continue on, they do quite a bit of damage, don't they? They, they really do. You know, uh, talking about couples and the little foxes are like the, the, the little irritations, but we might let them build up or let them fester. I'm always reminded, and you know I love quotations, but Ruth Graham said, marriage is the union of two forgivers. And I just think that's one of the most profound things that I've ever heard. And Agreed. and you know what? Um, Matthew Henry and, well, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, they had written commentaries on uh, Song of Solomon and talking about, like, you know, what are the tender grapes that we need to guard and look after? Because the little foxes spoil the tender grapes. Well, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the consideration of a relationship or whether it's our humility before the Lord and our just gratitude. I'm going to tell you something. Um, one of the the characteristics of a relationship that will help preserve our earthly relationships and certainly enhance our relationship with the Lord is gratitude. Amen. And just to, by the Holy Spirit's leading, cultivate a grateful heart. And it's amazing if you are intentional about finding the things for which to be thankful. The minor irritations, you'll just forget about them. Amen. And so catch those foxes. In other words, catch (laughs) the foxes, get them out of the vineyard so that the fruits of joy and love can grow. Especially, don't let them stay overnight. You ever heard that? You know, don't go to bed with anger, with... Be quick to forgive. Verse 16 is one I've quoted two or three times already. In my opinion, I think it it catches, if one verse catches 
the whole book of Song of Solomon, and I'm not sure it does, but if one does, 2.16 might be it. My beloved is mine, and I am his. When I read that and compare it, yes, in marriage, but when I compare it to Christ, I could not help but think uh, of the parable about the vine and the branches. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will produce great fruit. So, Alex, this idea of beloved is mine, I am his, it is that relationship. It should be that kind of relationship with a husband and wife. I could not also help but think of Corinthians when it talks about the man and the husband and the wife. His body is not his own. It's his wife. The wife's body is not her own. It's his as well as they share it with one another. So my beloved is mine, and I am his. It is a beautiful relationship between a husband and a wife, but it's also that beautiful relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Amen. Well, and, and you know, uh, I don't know what translation uh, you have, folks. There's a lot of good translations. But in um, verse 16, my beloved is mine, and I am his, he grazes among the lilies. Now, graze is a verb, you know, and... Uh, what what does that mean? Well, the word really means pastures, like you're in a pasture and you're not looking for any other pasture. And it, there's, there's a peace about it. There's a finality and a satisfaction. You're, and l- let me just say this with your marriage. Be satisfied. Now work on it, nurture it, but don't be looking for greener pastures. Pasture where you are. And with the Lord, uh, let me say it's it's... When you're satisfied in Jesus, uh, materialism can can drift away, mm. and you can, with God's help and for God's glory, subdue, like Paul says, the passions of the flesh or the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I, I don't know, Bert, I was focusing on that word graze, graze among the lilies, be content, be satisfied in your Savior and with the, the life God has put around you. Amen. Good word. And and I think that continues into 17, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a, a young stag upon the mountains of Bethar. Now, Alex, again, it's talking about loving one another. Daybreak, staying with one another, my beloved. And, and that is the idea. Uh, that's who she speaks and she calls her my beloved and uh, so that relationship is strong. And it brings us to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I found it to be kind of the most, uh, I, I would say, difficult. But it sounds like a, a dream. Uh, he, he, the Shulamite could not find him, went looking for him because it says in two verse 2, I go about the city and the streets. And it's the fear of losing them. Uh, the idea... Uh, and even asking, have you seen the my loved one, the one I love, in verse 3? And so the whole idea here is, is this relationship, it may have some trouble, but you don't let it stay there. If the little foxes begin to gnaw away, you don't let that relationship slip. You, uh, mm-hmm. You're aggressive in establishing and working on this relationship. I just want to tell you. Yeah. A good marriage requires hard work. It's not well, going it really to be does. just somebody being casual about it. No, it's got to be intentional, doesn't it? It really does. It, it really does. And, um, you know, listen, with all the busy schedule I keep, I, I'm, I'm rare 
to reference myself, and Lord knows I am not a model husband that anybody should follow, but I do love Angie, and God's given us so many blessings. But um, on every Saturday that I can, I tell her that she has a, a totally yes Saturday. Now, here's the thing. Dr. Chapman says know your spouse's love language, whether it's words of affirmation or or time or acts of service. And But Angie's love language, hands down, is time together. Bert, I'm so blessed. She's never asked for any material thing. She just wants time. And, you know, being a speaker, writer, evangelist, traveling 175 nights a year, it's not always easy. So I was praying about it, and... I said, I'm going to do, when the weekends that I'm home, I'm going to say it's a yes Saturday. Anything you say, we'll do. And if, if you want to go and, you know, whatever, go to the antique store or anything, as long as we can, I'm going to do it. Well, that meant more to her. And, you know, Bert, I'm the kind of guy who likes to go to the hardware store or the car show or go down to the workshop and saw a board, you know, but that's not Angie's thing. And I want to say, husbands, um, and again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm really not. But one of the greatest uh, gestures of love is we, when we can know what our wife likes. And that might not be what we like. And men, whether it's uh, turning off the football game or getting away from the television or whatever, be intentional. And the thing about it is, we, Bert, remember, whatever we do, we're to do it as unto the Lord. Well, I think we're to love our spouse as if we were loving Jesus and do it as unto the Lord, and there's great benefit in that. Amen. There's a lot of joy in saying, yes, dear. It really is. And, Alex, I appreciate that testimony. It speaks loudly, brother, and thank you. We're going to come back with more of the Song of Solomon, Chapter 3. Don't go away. I think you'll be blessed. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Gary Rasikot, Assistant Secretary for the Department of Homeland Security's Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction Office. He works to protect our country and promote readiness for chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear threats. 2 Timothy 4.8 reminds us of God's love and protection. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Gary Rasikot as he works to keep our country safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says behind every resource in our life, there's only one source. And when we start to forget that truth, God has a not so subtle way of reminding us. He'll tell us about it today as we spend two minutes with Tony. That's why I love Deuteronomy 8 verses 11 through 18. God says, I let you go hungry. I let your stuff spill over. I let there be a downturn in your situation so you would not forget the Lord your God. Because sometimes God has to remind us of who the provider is. Because when he sees we get too attached, 
to where we work and what they pay and how much we have in the bank and we start putting that as a source, he'll let us know, oh no, that was a resource. Now I know what some people think. God doesn't get up in the morning and go to work. So why do I have to make this big deal about God? Well, let's start with the fact that if there is no God, you don't get up. Let's start with that. If there is no God, you don't have an arm to deal the steering wheel or a leg to press the accelerator. If there is no God, you don't have a mind to even know whether you're going the right way. God says, I even give you the power to make what you make to provide what you have. So nothing gets to you that doesn't come through my hand first. I am your source, my name, my kingdom, my will, and then you will experience my provision at a whole nother level. Discover how prayer can grow from a ritual into a relationship with the help of Tony's CD series, The Lord's Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Just give me Jesus. is coming to you from Tupelo, Mississippi, from the headquarters of the American Family Radio Network. I, Alex McFarland, am coming to you from San Angelo, Texas. I just landed literally about an hour ago, and I'm this week at First Presbyterian Church of San Angelo, Texas. Beautiful city, beautiful church. The website, by the way, is F, as in first, fpcsanangelo.org. And Bert, while I'm here, I'm going to uh, speak over there at um, uh, San Angelo State University. I'm going to speak at a pastor's luncheon tomorrow. But uh, be in prayer, and if you happen to be in this area, it's um, a ways from Austin. It's kind of right in the middle of the state, First Presbyterian San Angelo, and we're going to be teaching and preaching on biblical worldview. And Bert, I'm just so honored to be here. I know you are. And Alex, I'm so glad. I've said this many times. I'm glad you're back on the road. Now, it always makes this program a little bit more exciting because is Alex going to get there in time? Uh, Is Alex going to have a good connection? But Devin and I have learned to live with that, and we're so excited. And and I just want to tell those folks who are listening, if you can get uh, Alex McFarlane in your church like first Presbyterian Church there in San Angelo, Texas. You will be blessed. Uh, I've heard him in churches, and he brings the word with conviction and passion and love. Now, when you can combine those things with knowledge, uh, Alex, I know of knowledge on ice, and I just want to tell you that sets, I mean, I want to go to sleep. But when you have Uh knowledge, you know, excited and knowledge with zeal, Alex, uh, it reaches people, and I, I want everybody well, to know that's what you get when you get Alex McFarland. The, the Word of God is powerful, and it listen, is. we've got some exciting things all year long, and Palm Sunday, I'm going to be in Cincinnati at Landmark Baptist Church, and I'm going to be talking about the relationship between Palm Sunday and uh, end times. There's a connection between Jesus's triumphal entry on Palm Sunday 
and then uh, the return of Christ. But we're in Song of Solomon right now, Song of Solomon chapter 3. And Bert, let me just say this, and I'm going to throw it to you. All right, uh, you've got really three voices in this chapter. You've got the king, Solomon. You've got the Shulamite uh, woman, the bride. And you've got the the daughters of Jerusalem that are kind of like sometimes this chorus singing. But here's the thing. You've got a shepherdess. The Shulamite girl is a lowly shepherdess uh, chosen by the king and pursued. Here's the king of Israel who's in love with someone that from the world's perspective is is low down on the totem pole in a way that's like uh the king of kings and giving his life for us Bert, there was no gospel song when he reached down his hand for me i was lost and undone without god or his son when he reached down his hand for me well jesus has reached down his hand and says whosoever will may come and we just want to say to everybody listen the king of kings loves you and jesus is as close by as a prayer and i think this book just very very vividly and pictorially reminds us of the unconditional grace of the king who called our name amen i want to add to what just alex said and just say to you you are love beyond your imagination for god so loved the world he could have said god loved the world but the comment in john 3 16 God breathed, God so loved the world. To measure that so is immeasurable. It is beyond anything that you could even ask or think according to his riches. God loves you that much. And when you read the Song of Solomon and you hear this Shulamite talking about her groom, and when you hear this this husband, this king, talk about her, his bride and bragging on her, it is beyond description. And matter of fact, uh, chapter 3 has the Shulamite kind of looking for him, looking for him, bringing him back and do it. And then verse 6, she doesn't know where he is, but verse 6 has the king coming in his glory, Alex, to claim mm-hmm. his bride is what he's doing. Uh, looks at, listen to verse 6. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the merchants' fragrant powders? Behold, it is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of fear of the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a planicune. Now that's just a cat. That's one of those things that you carry. It's a one seater, and you have poles sticking out, and they're carrying him. Yes. And he's he's being carried. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, uh, its interior paved with love, by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. Now, Alex, again, this, she was searching for him. Where is he in verses 1 through 5? And now in verse 6, he shows up ready to claim his bride. It is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Well, it is. And, I mean, you see this king coming in, being carried in this this carriage. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of that where there's like this, you know, ornate, uh, opulent cube, and it's carried on poles. And uh, the interesting word... Paliquin, you know, and I hadn't heard that word before till I really dug into this. 
But you see, you know, the entourage, verse 7, the mighty men of Israel around him. Bert, doesn't it remind you of when it talks about Christ returns with 10,000 times 10,000? It does. The king and his court, if you will. Now, this is Solomon gloriously showing up for the wedding, but it, it kind of reminds me of the, the return of the, the bridegroom for his bride. Now, chapter 4 uh, talks about Solomon's admiration for the Shulamite beauty. Now, remember the humility, the, the downcast face of the Shulamite. She says, you know, I'm tanned. I've been out working, and my skin is all, you know, suntanned. But verse 4, here's the king's assessment. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now, what this is, if this sounds unusual, commentators say that there's a lot of oriental imagery. Imagine uh, a young bride and her beautiful hair cascades down her shoulders, and that's like, you know, um, the, the grass on a hillside maybe, or like uh, the, the animals running down the slopes of a mountain. And it goes on as very pictorial about the, the beauty, the attributes of, of beauty um, in, in the bride. And you know what, uh, men, I hope you study your wife's features, and I hope that you've just got a photograph in your mind and, more importantly, in your heart, uh, just a picture of your your beautiful wife that's God God's given you, Bert. Um, that like we said, uh, I've met couples that have been married for years and years, and you know the world thinks about aesthetic beauty, and it's it's so sad. And I'm going to get up on a little soapbox here, so forgive me. But so much of Hollywood now, goodness, there's plastic surgery and Botox, and some people they just look pitiful. I mean, it's so sad. Uh, I was in California when I was working for Dr. Dobson, and I was uh, a part of a, a conference on ethics, biblical ethics. And Bert, you know, we were just a few miles from Hollywood, and during there were a number of really Christian philosophers, and the talk became about you know image and how people often in Hollywood and really around the world, you know, just contort their bodies and just destroy the design that God made. And uh, all these scholars were talking about the ethical implications of harming your body. And I want to say this. I know there, there's uh, corrective surgery and there's people have issues, maybe accidents, or there, there are times when, uh, thankfully, plastic surgeons can repair the damage to people's body. And there, there are even elective surgeries that people do things to feel good about themselves, and I completely understand that. But, Bert, more and more, I'm seeing people, whether it's through, you know, uh, cuttings and piercings and excessive, excessive, uh, just the change of the design, even. And so some people almost don't even look human anymore. And let me just say, we got to remember we're not our own. Now, when Solomon is just... Um, rejoicing in the beauty of his bride here. Let me tell you, everybody's beautiful. Bert, I really believe that. Human beings are beautiful because they're made in God's image, because they're people for whom Christ died. And and men don't have a roving eye trying Amen. to 
you know. And you can pray that. Make that your prayer. Lord, give me eyes only for my wife. Pray yep. that. Don't let your eyes wander and look upon the maiden that's not yours. Keep your eyes on your wife. Look unto her. And Alex, this introduces this great. Notice how many times it says your teeth, your lips, yours, yours, yours. Your you neck catch is that? Beautiful. Yes, yeah, it yeah. is. It is that relationship between them, and, and and again, he's admiring her, and that admiration could, should continue. You're talking about working for Dr. Dobson. One of the greatest illustrations of love between a husband and wife was given by Dr. Dobson. I don't know if it was on one of the recordings I got or one of the uh, programs that I listened to, but he said he and his wife were eating out, and uh, he said, we saw these young lovers, and they were, uh, you know, caring for one another, looking at one another, but he said, the one that got my attention was this older couple, and she was in a wheelchair, and she was not able to feed herself, but it must have been one of their celebrating their anniversary. He cut up her food. He did it for her, and then he would take his fork and put it up to her mouth so she could chew, and he was doing it with the biggest smile on his face, and he said, which one was demonstrated the love that a husband and wife should have? And it was that man caring for his wife in such a manner when it was either a stroke or what had happened to her, unable to feed even herself, but he wanted her to be with him in a public place so he could demonstrate his love for her. And, Alex, that spoke to my heart. And you and I have known men, one of my heroes, Dr. Bobby Moore, who's going to be of the Lord, who was a mentor of mine. He he was still able to speak some. But when his wife, who had just uh, you know served him, done for him, got to the point where she could not take care of herself, he stepped back. He stepped back and said, God's first calling in my life was not to be a pastor. My first calling was not to be an evangelist. My first call was to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and he would serve her. And, and so, Alex, I, I, this is what this is about in chapter 4, this admiration for the love that he has. Let me give it this, and I'll throw it back to you. Notice you've already read verse 1. Beloved, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. After he gets through describing her, verse 7, you are beautiful, my love. There's no spot in you. And I want to go back this, and I want you to take it away. It sounds like uh, the without a spot and without a blemish. You know, the church, mm-hmm. I couldn't help but yeah. notice that as well. I think that is an allusion to that relationship as well. Amen. Amen. Beautiful thing. We're in Song of Solomon, Chapter 4. Bert and Alex here. You're listening to Exploring the Word. By the way, in a few minutes, we're going to get to questions. If you want to call in with a Bible question, we would be very honored to hear from you today. The number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. You know, one of the unique features of this uh, book is uh, there are a number of species of trees and yeah. plants referenced in <laughs> and, this book. And locations. I mean, this is a geographical, oh, yeah. biological book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and by the way, this speaks to the historicity of the Bible. By the way, it, when we say historicity, it means it's it's really true. This historically happened. And goodness, all you know, it, it references Egypt. It references Jerusalem, Mount Gilead, 
uh, uh, Mount Hermon, so many things. Animals are mentioned, 15 species of animals, uh, 21 species of plants are mentioned. And there's the comparison between um, marital love, between a husband and wife, to, to a garden and to uh, flowers and beautiful uh, flowers and sweet, sweet fragrances. And, you know, um, let me say this, that uh, I think then, as now, people realize this is very pictorial language about uh, intimate love between a husband and wife. Now, I want to say one thing. Uh, a verse that has caused people to uh, wonder, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. This is um, this is uh, verse 5 of um, Song of Solomon 4. All right, this is not talking about incest, being married to your sister, although in a very technical sense, all humans marry a sibling because we're all related to our parents, our parents being Adam and Eve, you know. But here's the thing. Uh, Bert, I was reading one commentator that said in that time, um, a wife was called a sister before God and a husband, a brother. And Bert, that reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 7. Okay, folks, 1 Peter 3, 7. And remember, and this is such a beautiful thing. Okay, let's say you're both Christians. Well, your wife is your, your bride, of course, but she is also your sister in Christ. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, be considerate with your wives, uh, respect her as the weaker vessel, as joint heirs of the grace of life. See, here's a reason to treat your spouse with love, kindness, gentleness, respect, deference, grace, forgiveness, because yes, that is the person to whom you are married, but it is also a member of the body of Christ. And Bert, we got to remember that um, those friends and neighbors around us are not mere relationships. They're members of God's blood-bought family. One other thing that I heard about the sister, you could show public expressions to a sister, but you couldn't show it to a wife. And he said, I want to show it to you. You are my sister, like you said. Hey, that number, by the way, 888-589-8840. Can we trust the Bible? He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks, the important documentary from the American Family Association, is now available to watch for free on AFA's brand new streaming platform. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to watch this award-winning film today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. Hannah's Heart, a half-hour program specifically designed to encourage Christian couples walking through infertility and miscarriage. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome, mm-hmm. but this is a show that says however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White each Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. You can find the podcast at AFR.net. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years 
Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake, as Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. The number is 888-589-8840, We'd love to hear from you with your Bible questions today. Hey, and when you get a chance, check out AFR.net, as in AmericanFamilyRadio.net. There's so much on the website, a station finder, all the great programs, a lot of things to just help you stay equipped, help you stay informed, and help you stay Uh, everything that the good Lord intends you to be, that you and your family would thrive in Jesus in these times, AFR.net and the American Family Association. Bert, uh, where should we go first on our call board? Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Kevin. Kevin, welcome. Welcome. Greetings and blessings to you and all. Yes, sir. Thank Uh, you, brother. you. You keep talking about the Shulamite lady. What's the etymology of Shulamite? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it it is, and I had to do that as well. It's a town, isn't it, Alex, in Lebanon? Uh, Near the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Shulamite uh, may be derived from the town of Shunem, located southwest of the Sea of Galilee in the land uh, assigned to the tribe of Issachar. So... uh, I'm guessing she was uh, related to the people from there, right, Bert? That's what I understand. And again, we're talking about someone pretty far away from Jerusalem. And uh, I love, and you did a good job earlier today when you talked about Jesus loving us when we were unlovely. I mean, (laughs) how, how horrible, unloving and unlovely we are, but he loved us. And here, this woman is lovely, but she 
did not have uh, all the, I would say, their credentials uh, that one would want to be, quote, queen. And, uh, but yet he loved her and married her. It's, it is a great story. Kevin, thank you for that. Let's go to North Carolina and talk to Josh. Josh, welcome. Uh, how are y'all doing? Doing well, brother. All right. So I called last week and uh, asked a question, and it was like a two-part question. You only answered half of it. So the second half of it is in Revelations, I believe, Chapter 9, uh, it's talking about the mark of God on your forehead or the seal of God on your forehead. If you have that, and then during the tribulation you end up taking the mark of the beast. Will you lose your salvation, or can that even happen? Or Oh, yeah, would... great, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for calling back. And a lot of times this happens. We'll get part of one and not the other because we try to go to different callers. So that's the reason we say come up with one question. It helps. But, Alex, this mark of God, the seal of God upon them, uh, it's lasting. Uh, you cannot serve two masters, can you? No, you can't. You know, it's interesting. It talks about Revelation 9, 4, that uh, those who have the seal of God on their forehead during the, the tribulation. You know, Bert, um, I think about the seal of God. For one thing, as a born-again Christian, um, the Bible tells us that we are sealed by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the book of Revelation, um, there, there are some of the, the people, some of this 144,000, Revelation 7, 4 through 8, talks about there are uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and at least for a time, they're like protected. They're the servants of God, and they preach for a certain time. And so the seal in the New Testament, S-E-A-L, can mean a couple of things. The indwelling Holy Spirit uh you know, preserving the born-again believer, but also it could mean a supernatural protection of God until um, the 144,000 get martyred. But, Bert, I believe that um, a born-again child of the Savior wouldn't take the mark of the beast. You know, I, I, I really... Um, I don't think if you've got the seal of God that you could also simultaneously have the seal of Satan. I, I, that's my understanding, Josh. And so that is why we're sealed under the day of redemption. And that's the whole idea that in the book of John, listen, God's mode of operation for a salvation has not changed since the Garden of Eden. You're saved by grace through faith. That's it. They looked forward in the Old Testament to what God would do. They didn't know all the particulars, and even some of the prophets that, that were given some of this great, beautiful, messianic promises, Alex, I'm not sure they understood completely everything that was going on. But when those apostles studied the Old Testament and they heard what Jesus said in the New Testament, they said, oh, that's it, you know? And so yes. you're saved by grace through faith. I, I just want you to know that. That's the whole idea then and now and then as well. Let's go to Oklahoma and talk to David. Welcome, David. Hey, pastors. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and yes, clear, brother. Welcome. Perfect. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, where do y'all draw the line in regards to other religions that claim to follow Christ? Um, what I mean by that is like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, 
um, other faiths that have big disagreements, but they still believe Jesus is Lord. And how does that relate to salvation? So uh, particularly with that line, like, is there any way I can say with the boldness, because let's just do it. Jehovah Witnesses, our, our Mormons believe in Jesus, that they're saved. Okay, thank you, David. Mm. Yes, that is a good question during our day. Let me make one statement, and similar to tie it into what Josh was, we were talking about, about those that were uh, saved and had the seal uh, during the tribulation, Alex. Uh, mm-hmm. It's grace alone, Jesus alone, faith alone. That's it. And any any group, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, or even a Protestant group that would add to what Jesus Christ has done, uh, is adding to it is in Christ and Christ alone. And uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, when you look at what they did to John chapter 1, the first few verses, uh, they, they don't want to make Jesus God, do they, Alex? No, they don't. And, you know, one of the litmus tests for Christianity is belief in well, Jesus. But when we say, I believe in Jesus, well, what do we really mean by that? Well, New Testament Christianity, we believe that he is the Son of God, and by that we don't mean just a good man or even just a wise man, but no, God incarnate. And on the cross, he died for our sins, and his sacrifice alone is what paid our sin debt. Now, one of the litmus tests Jesus himself gave in John eight twenty four. Regarding the deity of Christ, that the divinity, or that Jesus, his Messiahship, John eight twenty four, Jesus said, "If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins." Now another, uh, in First John five one, it says, "Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is born of God." So let me just say this: I'm be, be very brief, Bert. Regarding true Christianity and. And, and forget the labels, whether it's uh, a church, denomination, or group. Forget the labels. It's this personal heart issue. And I would say to everybody listening right now, you've got to focus. What have I done with Jesus? Have I accepted what he taught about himself? All right, here's the thing. There are theological tests, and there are really dispositional tests. And what I mean by that is... Um, in James, James one twenty seven, it says, uh, "Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world." John thirteen says, "By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another." Now, here's my point: you can't get saved by trying to be religious. You're only forgiven and born again through acknowledging Jesus, putting your faith in him. If you need help with that, they're our partners. You can call them right now, 888-NEED-HIM. You can call them, 888-NEED-HIM. And there's somebody that will talk to you and help you that lets you know that it is in Jesus Christ alone and him being Lord as you surrender your life to him that you are saved. And it's more than believe in doctrine it is yes. believing the person the lord jesus and know him david thank you again good call great calls today i've been wanting to get to this call since i saw what was put up there sharon from texas sound like you have a testimony of a marriage that really worked is that right yes i do thank you all so much for taking my call and 
Um, it's a tie-in from yesterday. I was in the lineup and just they ran out of time, so I didn't get to get on. But I tie-in from yesterday and today. And that is I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and went to Reinhardt Bible Church. And uh, John Walbert's family was a part of our church. And my mom and dad, um, they uh, were members there for 61 years, which um, my mom is still alive. My dad just passed away. My mom and dad, my dad died at 94. My mom just turned 93. They're still, they're still active, home groups at their house still every other uh, weekend. And my dad, when he uh, just started getting dementia, but they were married 72 and a half years. And in that marriage, even in the middle of the night, my dad would roll over and he would say, Peggy, you are the best wife I've ever had. I love you so much. <laughs> and oh, one of wow. the testimonies somebody said was that daddy had said, my mama was the most beautiful woman in the world. Strong believers. My dad was an emer- uh, elder emeritus, still completely active, active in ministry with Chuck Colson, uh, with Prison Fellowship. And so I just wanted to give a testimony of a marriage that God put together, and he sustained it, and it's such a testimony. And so just wanted to share that because it ties in with both the conversations from yesterday and today. Thank you all so much. Love you all's mm. program and love you guys and appreciate what you do. Thank you. Alex, hallelujah, man. That's, wow, that 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 is encouraging, Sharon. Thank you, isn't it, Alex? What a great testimony, and thank you for that wonderful call. And what a privilege to be associated with the the ongoing influence and ministry of John Walford. I mentioned him yesterday. He was one of the most uh, prolific theologians of the 20th century. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And I, I know his ministry probably spanned. 50 or 60 years. Bert, I heard him speak one time uh, many, many years ago, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of what we know about Bible prophecy in the end times, um, and it's been, you know, validated and reaffirmed by a lot of people, but Dr. Walvoord, he was huge on the deity of Christ, the Holy Spirit, but he was an expert on Bible prophecy, yes, and was. I'm so glad that his name is still known today. And put alongside that, Dwight Pentecost, that was oh, a yes. part of those. Those two, it was, you know, Jay you've Dwight heard Pentecost. of like running backs calling them thunder and lightning. Uh, yeah. I would say at Dallas Theological Wall and, and uh, Dr. Pentecost, you had thunder and lightning concerning prophecy, and what a team. Sharon, I just want to say thank you. I've got to give a quick testimony. My mom and dad were married for over 60 years, and yes, my dad started suffering from dementia, and it was tough and hard, but I just want to tell you, the love that they demonstrated to one another, nine kids, I'm the youngest of nine, and uh, they loved one another, demonstrated that again and again, and I praise the Lord. There's nothing like having that as your heritage, and I thank God for mine, so thank you, Sharon. Let's go to Indiana and talk to Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, man. Doing well. All right. So I've got two questions. One of them is actually concerning, like, marriage and divorce and remarriage. Um, I've had questions about this for, like, a couple years now. Um, The Lord brought me together with a woman 
named Bridget, and I had found out, like, at the beginning of our relationship that she had been previously married, okay? So about six months into our relationship, I read in the word that if a man was to marry a divorced woman, then the man was committing adultery. And, um, but then like, I've looked around in my life, you know, and I know couples that have been divorced and then they have remarried. And it seems to me that they've been reconciled through that. Um, pretty much like what I'm getting at is I'm just confused on the whole matter. And, uh, okay. We got you, Jeremy. We, time is going to run out. So we uh, thank you for calling us. I, I want to make some broad statements, and then, Alex, we can fill in the details first. Mm-hmm. The The marriage that you are in right now is a marriage that you need to work on and, and give it everything you have that you can. Give it everything. And, and the other thing that I would say broadly is this. We have taken marriage and divorce in the church too casually, and yes, it's, yeah. it's, it has hurt it is hurt. We understand marriage and divorce. I have seen it up close and and know why it has to happen. But I am telling you, it shouldn't be the first thing you do. It should be the last thing you have to do. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, exactly. And and God bless you. And thank you for caring about what God's Word says about this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate to try to get into this this late in the program. But I want to say this. Bird is right. The marriage you are in is the one that God wants you to work on. And now, that doesn't erase the fact, I read Matthew 5.32, Jesus said everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity or immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay? But do you know what? It doesn't matter that maybe the marriage was entered into on less than biblical grounds, you confess it, you move forward where you are, as you are with Jesus, and he will bless the marriage that's been consecrated now to him. Amen, Jeremy. Hope that helps. Uh, we, we pray that it would be good and wise and uh, ask God to guide you all the way. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. We'll be back tomorrow with more of Song of Solomon. Tell someone about this program in AFR, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. Jesus.